Hello, this is Voice Your Mind podcast from Listening. Welcome to our show where we talk about the unheard who have no one to share about their insecurities and past trauma or even having difficulty opening up to people when feeling down. On this show, we will be discussing everything about mental health, depression, and suicide. We listening are just ordinary people who are or were in your similar state and are currently encouraging ourselves and learning to improve our state of mind. So here we are taking a step towards motivating you to get better with us every day of the week. So without any further delay, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to the show and out to the guest is Sierra Carter and she is a behavior analyst, marathon runner and a professional personal trainer and she's also the podcast host of Run Thrive Survive podcast so we're going today we're going to learn a lot from about her our, about her journey and we're going to talk about mental health fitness and e- eating disorders yeah so let's drive straight into it so how are you, how are you doing today Good. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm super excited to be here. I love, you know, talking and kind of like spreading the word of health and fitness, especially when it comes to behavior change and mental health, because right now I know the past year, everybody can see that we've definitely had kind of a struggle in the mental health realm. Um, Suicides up higher than it's ever been in a lot of places because of isolation over the past year. And there's just a lot of depression, anxiety, and there's a lot going on. So when it comes to this topic, I'm very passionate about trying to help people, trying to just bring awareness and finding things we can do other than just self-medicating the wrong way. Okay, so how, how do you define self-medicating the wrong way? So I would define it. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have their own definitions, but I would define self-medicating the wrong way is a lot of people turn to drugs and alcohol, um, very unhealthy um, behaviors that will, that can cause harm to the body. So I would, I would describe anything if you're self-medicating with yourself, um, not, not talking to a doctor. So there are pills and, you know, that are uh, prescribed for depression and anxiety, but self-medicating is really just doing anything that's going to harm your health in the long run. It doesn't matter if it's not causing too much in the short term. We see that a lot with like people that love to drink or smoke to forget things. They may not see the effects now, but as it continues to go, things bad things do happen. And I'm not an advocate not to drink, not to do, you know, not to smoke Well, not to smoke. You shouldn't smoke, but I'm not to drink. But at the same time, there's an unhealthy line. Okay. Got it. So when is it actually an unhealthy line? So when it's, is it when uh, you harm yourself? Yeah. So, Man, I, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not somebody that can diagnose anything. It's, but, it's on your, it's, yeah. it's, you, it's from your perspective, you know, like not universal rules, like that's not, that's nothing. Absolutely. I, so if it's unhealthy, I'm going to say it's something that you feel like you can't function without. And we see this again, we see this a lot with people. Um, it kind of refers to the term OCD, obsessive um, compulsive disorder. And again, that's something that a lot of people say they're OCD, right? Like I'm OCD, I need to have my house clean. No, OCD is like this continual behavior thought pattern that you cannot function unless something's a certain way. So let's say you turn to drinking. 
if you see and start to see in yourself that you cannot function during the day, you cannot function at night, you, you, it's like you get anxiety, you're overwhelmed, or you can't think like your main goal is to find your next drink that's when it becomes unhealthy. Now, of course, there's signs and symptoms along the way, you know, to that point that are extremely unhealthy. And that's pretty much, you know, telling people you can't hang out maybe because you want to go drink or, you know, missing events because you want to drink or, you know, just having a drink in your hand at all times or coming home right away and drinking that is a sign that it's becoming unhealthy, but it's not to the point where it's like detrimental to the point that it's detrimental. That's when it hits, you can't function, you can't do anything. And you start, it just supersedes. It just overtakes your life. That's extremely unhealthy. Okay. Got it. Okay. So before diving on into this topic a lot more, let's start about, let's, let's talk about your story. So tell us about your story and tell us more about yourself. Yeah. So I had talking about OCD, um, it was an eating disorder and a lot of people kind of clash eating disorders. It can become an OCD type behavior just because you become obsessed. Like the, the thought process is an obsession. So about four or five years ago, I was diagnosed, well, not diagnosed with an eating disorder. I was diagnosed, but it was a roundabout way. And I'll get to that. Um, and I was in the hospital for a good weekend because my iron levels dropped dangerously low. If anybody knows anything about iron levels that's listening, a good hemoglobin count is 12. People in car accidents, when they get to about four, which is a level that's really unhealthy and blood's not being carried to your brain anymore or, or oxygen's not being carried to your brain anymore with the blood because the iron's so, so low, that's when people start to die my hemoglobin levels were at 2.9. And the only reason I did not die was because it was a consistent 2.9. And I, this happened gradually over two years that my body learned to pretty much live in this, like it would shift its homeostasis. It would shift this, like it's normal to a little bit lower as it depleted over two years. Now, how I got there um, it took, it did, it took a couple years. I was in high school. I was just like every other high school girl that wanted to fit in, look cute, look, be the pretty skinny girl at the time. And it, it was bad. I did it the wrong way. I stopped eating. That was the time in life where vegans were starting to become a thing. I'm not vegan. I will never identify as a vegan. I do not think veganism is even healthy. And I'll tell you why. Um, but we were, I was stopped eating meat. I stopped eating meat on top of fish. I didn't have any protein. I wouldn't want to, I didn't like beans. I wouldn't have any protein there. Lettuce. I didn't like the taste of and anything else. I was honestly horrified. It was going to make me fat and put weight on me. So what I ate was pretty much yogurt trail mix. And I drank a lot of chocolate milk, which sounds super counterintuitive. If you know anything about nutrition, I made the worst stupid possible choices and I go ahead. Yeah. Two things came to my mind. One was, okay. So like two questions, like one statement and one question first, uh, vegans are going to hate you after, after listening to, listening to this <laughs> second, second of all, who actually like, how did you get this idea that if you don't eat protein, you're going to get lean. So I had this 
teacher in high school and she didn't say don't eat protein, right? I didn't like fish. So I just had already eliminated that from the equation, but she was a vegan. So she really, really wanted to push don't eat meat. And she's like, meat's bad for you. It's going to increase your cholesterol and all this stuff. Like she would just lay out how bad meat is for you. So in my mind, as somebody that has an eating disorder, that doesn't want to get fat, that wants to be quote unquote healthy, this horrified me. So I was like, okay, no steak, no meat, nothing. So I ate no meat. And I mean, it got so bad. People don't understand behavior, like eating disorders have this incredibly horrible effect on your mind. So it's not just your body. It doesn't look like it's just that part of you. Your mental state is awful. I was depressed. I was anxious and I was having panic attacks all of the time and nobody knew what was going on. And nobody thought to check my blood for the longest time. I was constantly cold. My fingertips were always like clammy and cold. My toes were always numb. I like my arms tingled. And it's because my, the first thing that your body cuts off when it's kind of like shifting into this shutdown mode is blood flow to your hands and your toes. And that's, you'll see this a lot in people that are hypothermic. They, their, your fingers will go um, black and blue first in hypothermia and for um, frostbite before, you know, anything else, because your body starts to protect the inside organs. And it was getting to the point where if it lasted any longer, my organs were just going to start giving out because they had nothing. They had no nutrients. They had nothing. And it was a very, it's eating disorders are the deadliest mental health disorder. They are the number one leading cause to death when it comes to mental health disorders. And it's something that is slept, swept completely under the rug constantly. And it's something, you know, that's big. We should have a conversation about it. Okay. So it's, it's actually a weird thing that people don't actually understand what eating disorder is. So many people think eating disorder is just not eating regularly. Or many people think that not eating, pro- like the new, not taking in the nutrients properly. So what is actually your eating disorder? So, and when can you say, oh, this is actually being a problem for you? Yeah. So I'm going to start real quick with the second question. When is it a problem? When you start to question it, when there's something that comes into your mind, like, oh, I may have an eating disorder. You probably do. And I say that because the behaviors are very distinct. So eating disorders can be a lot of different things. They can be anorexia, which is pretty much not eating and starving yourself. It could be bulimia which, um, or binge eating disorder, or it could be body dysmorphia. And there's a new one that they termed, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it's kind of a mixture of all of them, which is really not good. Um, but like, um, bulimia is pretty much where bulimia and anorexia are kind of like just starving yourself. And then binge eating, you eat as much as you can. And then you, I think with bulimia, you purge it. So people, when they think of eating disorders, they either think of starving yourself or throwing up in the bathroom because, you know, this, that's usually when you have helicopter parents 
or you're trying to stay under the radar, you'll see people do more of the purging type of um, situation. I kind of, I had both the starving myself and the purging, but the problem was I wasn't throwing up. I actually haven't thrown up since I was in sixth grade. So that's like, I don't know, like 13, 14 years ago. So I actually was over training and working out constantly. And a lot of people don't realize I was working out like four or five hours a day. I was like sleeping like four or five hours and working out four or five hours. And it was insane. Like this should have never even happened. Like now I work out like an hour and I look better than I ever have before. But I used to work out four or five hours because I would eat a meal. And then I would think to myself, I've got to get this, got to get rid of those calories. A lot of people basic nutrition, you need at least 2000 calories a day. I'm not a calorie counter, but that's basically what you need because your body needs the function. My mindset was if calories are in the same number of calories have to go out. This leaves nothing for my brain to use. This leaves nothing for my body to use. And this leaves nothing, nothing for my muscles to use on top of it. I'm working out four or five hours. My body is breaking down because it has no nutrients coming to it. So that was the first problem. And it was that issue where nobody caught it. And, and there's a few people that would say stuff to me and they're like, you know, this sounds kind of unhealthy. Like, you know, you, maybe you need to talk to somebody. And I was like, oh no, 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 I'm fine. You know, every high schooler is going to say that. Um, actually, I want to step back one more thing with the eating disorders. Somebody described it perfectly. When you have an eating disorder, your mental state, so going back to just your mental state, not just what you're doing, how you're doing it, purging, binging, starving, your mental state, it sounds like some fog. It sounds like, you know, like, let's think of a rapper. Someone's crinkling a rapper the entire time they're talking to you. And it's, it's one of those things where you can't get it out of your mind. You can't hear anybody over it and you can't think until you fix the problem and binging, purging and starving yourself is fixing the problem. When you eat that noise comes back and that's kind of the danger about the eating disorder, but kind of fast forward, people did know this with me, but it wasn't until I started collapsing. I couldn't walk. I couldn't even walk to a classroom. I couldn't walk from room to room in my house. I would just collapse because I was so dizzy and tired. I wasn't, I was pretty much suffocating myself. And that's when I finally went to the doctor. At first they said it was a heart condition, which scared me and I never went back. And then a really, it just got really bad. And then they said it was appendicitis, which it was not appendicitis. And finally someone came in to check my blood and they're like, we cannot operate on her with appendicitis because her blood levels are so low. She will die if we open her up. And then they wanted to give me a blood transfusion, but they couldn't give me a blood transfusion because they'd flood my lungs because technically I'm not losing blood. I don't need blood. I need oxygen in my blood. So the treatment for this, unbelievably, is just taking those iron pills. And these iron pills you can get over the counter. That's what they had me do. Take four a day and eat hamburgers. And, you know, it's something, it's funny, it's something so simple for it, it, it's a horrible situation to have such a simple fix. And that right there is why I'm like, I cannot let any, uh, anybody else ever get in the situation where they're binging, purging, whatever it is, because they don't have the correct information. Cause if I had just eaten correctly, fruits, vegetables, um, you know, meat once in a while, fish, I could have avoided that. Yes. I'd still be dealing with the mental state, 
but I wouldn't be close to that. Okay, so that was a pretty brief way of saying saying all this. So one one thing that you missed, I guess, is body body dysmorphia. Okay, so can you tell me a bit more about that? And yeah, that's it. So body body dysmorphia. So this is a very common thing, and it can go two ways. It can be very mild, and everybody has that. They look in the mirror and they're like, oh, I've gained a few pounds. Oh, I'm a little pudgy here. I would not call that body dysmorphia. Sometimes, honestly, that's just looking at yourself in the mirror. And if you look at yourself in like dressing room mirrors, that's really mean because those mirrors are horrible. Body dysmorphia is looking at yourself in the mirror and then seeing a fat person. Okay, so that sounds awful. But like somebody that's sick thin, looks sick, and like, just looks like they're frail and about to break. When they look in the mirror, they see pounds. They see fat. They just see an overweight human being. And that's not true. Like what they're seeing versus reality, that's body dysmorphia. And it's those thoughts, those images that really start to break somebody down. Um, a lot of that too, I see comes from other people's opinions. A lot of people with body dysmorphia are start listening to, you know, like maybe someone's like, oh, you look fat in that dress. Now they start to notice, quote unquote, that they're fat in weird places. I used to have um, dreams that I had, we call them muffin tops, where you're, you have pants on and it, like your fat goes over the pants. I used to have dreams where I was crying because I couldn't get rid of something like that. That's body dysmorphia. And but it could go both ways just because you look at yourself and you're like, oh, I gained like five pounds. That's not body dysmorphia. It's not unhealthy. Unhealthy is when you become obsessed about what you look like and you don't even see your true image in the mirror. Damn. So I don't have body dysmorphia. I'm pretty sure about that. No. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I think uh, I feel the former, uh, the former thing that you described, like maybe I gained a few weight and stuff sometimes. But not on that serious scale that I'm like lean and I'm feeling fat, like not on that, that scale for sure. Right. However, one, one thing though, so if someone has, have eating disorders, okay, I'm, I'm not sure if I do have, I thought that I have eating disorders. However, uh, like, uh, and the situation was not very weird. It, it, it was just like I was eating once a day, like once a day because of time and stuff. And I was avoiding me that that's that's a weird thing. I'm not trying to lose weight or anything. I was eating a lot, however, like eating once meal a day. So in that case, is will this will that be called an eating disorder or not? So it kind of depends. So everything depends, right? You have to look at it this way and you kind of have to be self-reflective in a certain way where you have to ask yourself, am I eating once a day? Because like maybe X, Y, and Z, I don't have time in the morning. Maybe I don't have time at lunch. You know, maybe I don't have time until the evening to eat. And that's not great. But if it's based on time and you want to eat, I wouldn't call that an eating disorder. If you're doing it because you're fearful, not just scared, but fearful, where in the back of your mind, like, oh, I'm not going to eat because I'm going to gain weight. Or, oh, I'm not going to eat because, you know, I want to stay this weight, that can be a mild entry point into an eating disorder. So you have your eating disorders and you have mild entry points. 
Because if you're consistent with that, if you're consistent with that thought process, you can, it's a nice slippery slope, right into becoming, oh, well, I'm never going to eat. Oh, I can't eat. I only eat one meal a day because I'm going to gain weight. And it becomes that obsessive compulsive type of behavior where you can't eat and um, until only that one meal. So it, you have to be very, very honest with yourself. And this is kind of like with any mental illness, you can, there's kind of, there's a scale. It's either severe or not severe and like entry points. And if you're at that entry point, kind of not very severe and you can be aware of it, like you can just be open and honest with yourself. I just wish somebody would have told me, you can be brutally honest with yourself and nobody has to know. All right. You can tell yourself, I have a problem. I have an eating disorder and just be brutally honest with yourself without telling your best friend. Do you want to tell somebody? Most likely because they're going to be able to help you. But first, you have to be brutally honest with yourself. I remember I used to teeter back and forth. Do I have an eating disorder? Do I not? I don't know. And it turned into something really, really bad due to the eating disorder. So be honest with yourself. Kind of like look deep down inside. Am I eating once a day because I just don't have time? Or am I eating once a day because I'm actually fearful I'm going to gain weight? Or I feel like this is healthier. Because eating once a day is really not healthy. Um, a lot of people don't realize when you don't eat and when you don't give your body food, your body holds on the fat um, and it holds on the fat because it doesn't know when the next meal is going to happen. So you, it actually slows down your metabolism. It's a really bad cycle to get into. And that's, again, it's just about education and trying to get this out to people. Because if you told me that in my high school days, I would have been eating. I would have been like, well, I'm going to speed up my metabolism eating. And it would be a whole different arena. The high schools and colleges, and nobody teaches them. Nobody even touches them. I agree to that. In my case, it's a bit mix of both. However, I'm I've kind of get over it. It was, uh, I do exercise regularly on on, on a regular basis. However, like uh, at home, and however, because of not exercising, I feel that I'm gaining weight and stuff. Uh, on my on my belly side because everyone gets fat in in the low, lower belly so that was uh, one of the reasons but that was not a, not a major part of it it was just i'll eat later 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 and it happened like let's say it it's 10 p.m right now like i was i i got home at six or let's say five and i i started working on some something like and i would i would, i thought i will eat right after doing this and it took five hours to do so let me ask you this if you were to say for yourself with this whole situation, are you pushing it off? Well, okay. Are you obsessed with the idea that you can't eat right now? Or is it just kind of in the back of your mind because you're busy on something? It's the latter one. It's the latter one. You're busy with something. Yeah. So I would definitely not say that would be um, relate too much to an eating disorder. Just because let's say I've done this. I, I wanted food and I was hungry and I didn't want to eat. So I started to make myself busy. There's a difference that you're avoiding eating and making yourself busy to say, oh, I'm busy. I can't eat versus I'm so busy. This meal is going to have to wait. I'm hungry, but I don't know. It's just going to have to wait. I'll get to it. It will happen. I just not right now. There's a very big difference. And it happens to both of us. I mean, like I haven't eaten yet. It's like, it's almost noon here. I've been up since like four or five running working out. I've had snacks, I've had on the go bars and stuff, but I haven't had time to make a meal. 
And that's not me avoiding the food. That's just me crunched on time, grabbing an apple and running to the next thing. Okay, these are rough days, especially the mornings. Like, <laughs> telling you, and a lot of people don't eat breakfast because it's so busy. And like with that, I always say, grab a, you know, just grab a bar, grab an apple, grab a handful of grapes, just grab something to kind of break that fast to get your metabolism going, and you'll be okay. Like it's that shouldn't be too worrisome, but at the same time, if I'm not eating and I'm like, okay, let's see how long I can go without eating, that's where it becomes detrimental. There's another thing, it's called intermittent fasting. And a lot of people say they have success on it. I'm not a huge fan of intermittent fasting. And I'm not a fan of it because there's a whole mental side to people who have struggled with eating disorders that I think it's a horrible, horrible idea. If the intermittent fasting is going periods of time without eating, so you eat within a window, it's like an eight hour window and you go like 16 hours without eating. This can really spark up a lot of eating disorders because you have anorexia, not eating for 16 hours, and then binging, eating as much as you can within that eight hours. That is going to slow down your metabolism because now your body is like, I'm not going to eat. Oh, I'm eating too much. Like, what do I do? I have all this thing. Now, a lot of people, they lose weight on it. I just think if you're struggling with an eating disorder, stay away from intermittent fasting. It's not going to help you. It's actually probably going to make things worse. Okay, so if you have any, if you think if you have eating disorder, don't go into intermediate fasting. Yeah, I would. I, I would personally not choose to ever tell somebody with an eating disorder to do that because they will become obsessed with it. They might binge, they're going to feel worse, and then they're going to stop eating. And that length of time they stop eating might increase, and the window of eating might decrease. So they eat more in a few hours, and then they stop eating for another, you know, 20 hours. It's not, it's not very good. Okay, so one question. So if you have to reflect on everything that it did, uh, okay, so describe me the day when you realized things had to change before I asked the same the question that, that I wanted. Oh to. man, that was the day I was in the hospital. <laughs> you know, so, it, it, it's a lot of people, it sucks. It takes you that long to be like, I need to change something. Um, it definitely was me not really realizing what was going on. That entire time, I personally thought I had cancer, to be honest with you. I was like, oh my God, I can't go to the hospital. They're going to diagnose me with cancer. I was 17. I just didn't want to deal with that. And then, you know, it just all made sense when they're like, you have an eating disorder. Like you're starving yourself. You're not getting nutrients to your body. And I was like, oh, so the big thing with it was I drank milk and ate yogurt. Milk and yogurt have calcium in it. Calcium depletes iron. So if you're trying to take iron pills, or you're trying to increase your um, your hemoglobin levels, don't have a lot of dairy or have dairy when you're not trying to pair it with meat and protein and stuff like that, because it's, it's depleting the iron that you're putting in your body. So I had to stop a lot of that. I was actually scared of milk for a while. I wouldn't touch it after eating, drinking it for two and a half years. So it, it's really finding that balance. And it's that day in the hospital that I was like, I've got to go out there. I've got to figure out how to talk to people in a way that they understand that how they eat and how they think and how they work out has to correlate with their mental health because my mental health was struggling. I was depressed. I was anxious. So that's why I've kind of like gone this route. Um, eating disorders are a behavior problem. 
they're way more a behavior problem than a psychological problem. Because a lot of people that have eating disorder lack control in the rest of their life. I was in such a weird state of mind, especially in high school. I didn't have control anywhere else. What did I do? I controlled my eating and I restricted it completely. So a lot of people argue it's a, it's more of a behavior problem than it is a, well, back when I was two years old, my mom forgot to feed me one dinner, you know, like a psychosocial um, problem. It really becomes a control problem because we cannot control anything else in our lives. So, so one thing though, so what was actually your mental state? So tell me more about uh, when was your peak of your anxiousness? So when, when was it? So that was, that was right before I went into the hospital. It was, I, man, this anxiousness, it was bad. I remember I was constantly having panic attacks. And if you've had panic attacks, um, you know, you have get tunnel vision. So I start losing vision in places and then it's fuzzy on the sides and my peripheral vision. And then you get a strong migraine and it feels like your heart feels like you're going to die. And I was constantly having them. I ha so I, I was having those all in February. I went into the hospital um, March, the first week of, weekend of March. So all of that February prior, I was constantly having panic attacks. And that's why they wanted, they, some woman, some doctor told me that I needed open heart surgery. I was 17 years old. And I was like, I'm not, I ran. And that's why I didn't go to the doctor until it got worse. Because I said I had a panic attack and she says I need open heart surgery. That doesn't correlate. I don't know who's listening to this. It doesn't correlate. But you scared a 17-year-old and let it get worse. <laughs> Horrible. Okay, so like uh, that's a basic thing. I, I don't know what doctors think about it. I, I'll share one experience. Like your, your one is like at the peak. Okay, so one of the thing is a few days ago, like a few weeks ago, okay. So I went to a doctor. Hey, my... I have like a dentist, so I have an issue with my one of my teeth, and say, and he said, okay, you gotta do a root canal, or take like on a random. Okay, so that's the last thing that I I wanna do. So as a teen, I'm at the end of my teen years. Okay, so at the last thing you wanna do is like operate or like kill kill one of your organs. Yeah. Right. And the thing that the, he was saying, hey, let's kill, kill one of your teeth. Okay, that's not I was that's not what I was looking for, right? Right. In your, and in your case, uh, do an operation. Like, who wants that, man? No, and that's like not what anybody wants to hear. So, of course, you have me freaking out. And I was pretty much like, I don't care if I'm dying. I'm not going to go get open heart, heart surgery. Like that was, that was one of like my first slippery slope with doctors. And then the second time I went to the doctor, my parents were like, okay, well, can you're still having this problem? Let's go to urgent care. So urgent care thinks I have appendicitis. I don't know why I got appendicitis all of a sudden. Like this wasn't even the same place. I was like appendicitis. Like how do I have appendicitis? So I'm sitting here freaking out. Like I'm not, they're going to put me in the surgery. So I'm in now. They, my parents brought me over to the hospital. I wasn't bussed over, but they put, brought me right back in right away because they thought I had appendicitis. And they took my blood. Finally, somebody took my blood and they ran in right before, you know, they're prepping me for surgery. They ran in and they're like, we can't operate on her. So of course, all of us are like, 
why? And they're like, she will die if you operate on her because her blood is at 2.9 hemoglobin. And so I'm in one city, Melbourne here in Florida. They had to transport me on an ambulance to a, um, a city over because I had the children's hospital because I was 17. They wouldn't touch anybody that's under 18 with a blood disease is what they called me or they classified me as. So I had to be bused to a child's hospital. And they, there, that's when all the doctors were like, you're lucky that you're alive. You know, they kept telling me, most people die at 2.9 or four hemoglobin and you're at 2.9. There's just, I had two doctors. There's just no reason that they're like, I should be alive. Like I need to learn from them. And doctors are pretty harsh. And at the time, you know, like I thought that was mean, but at the same time, it did scare me enough to change. Okay. It's a pretty weird thing that everything, like, all the teens have the same mentality and all the doctors say in the talk in the same way that's a weird thing isn't that weird like i i'm in literally i'm almost opposite end of your like opposite end of the globe from you and they like talking to the doctor that they speak the same way like the doctors in florida yeah like that's weird and Things need to change. Like I, I think the ed education of doctors need to. We need to educate doctors about how to talk to patients a bit more. Yeah, they always they always joke around. A lot of doctors are very cold. Um, of this whole experience, a lot of it. I mean, there's other instances that I've had that I've kind of lost faith in the medical system. Um, and it's funny enough, I met somebody the other day. They have also lost faith in the medical system lately. And a lot of people are turning to holistic health, and. I'm saying not for all of it, you know, there's some, some situations where a doctor and new technology can really help you. Um, but most of it, honestly, to be honest with you, there's a lot of things that instead of going to the doctor and just getting prescri prescribed a pill that's going to help our symptoms, there's a lot of things that we can do. And there's a lot of like, you know, different medicines and other things we could be taking that are nice to our bodies that aren't going to get us hooked because if you've ever talked to somebody with that maybe has one condition and is on one prescription they're probably on 10 more prescriptions because this has a side effect but they can't stop taking it so they have to fix that side effect and then that side that pill has another side effect and they have to fix that side effect and pretty soon you're on like 10 different or prescriptions, you're paying God knows how much money for each of these prescriptions. And all of them are just making you tired and sick. So there's got to be a point where someone's like, yo, we're only treating the symptoms. Can somebody look at the actual cause? And that's what holistic health does is they're like, okay, here are your symptoms, but what's actually going on? You know, like, oh, you have an ulcer. Well, let's let's get rid of the ulcer and then your headaches will go away and you won't need to take like 10 pounds of Advil a day. You know, there's different ways to look at it, but our medical system, and I'm not sure how it is over there, but our medical system here in the States, personally, all they want to do is prescribe you um, pills. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of people don't like to hear it. The big pharma companies are paying these doctors to prescribe these pills. I have friends, they had, you know, Oh, I feel anxious during a test. They're pressing depression and anxiety medication like no other. They are handing it out to college kids like candy. College kids, we're, we're, we're like little snowflakes. 
we need to understand that some anxiety is good. We can be sad. That doesn't mean we're depressed. We don't need prescri like prescription pills all the time because it's really not helping us. So it's those types of deals where I'm like, things do need to change. But like right now, there's so much money behind a lot of this pill pushing. It's really hard to like raise awareness on it. This thing is exactly the same in this country. Like I, I think every sing single part of the world have this thing because doctors are always paid like commissioned like doctors and uh, 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 it's, it's a different thing but even teachers as well uh, like those are two different things I know for for teach in terms of doctors they're their commissions for the pills and in terms of teachers they're commissioned for books yes and I mean I understand exactly what you're saying here in the states like it's all the unions that are behind it. A lot of the lobbying um, lobbyists that are pushing, you know, like they're just going to pay you off to vote a certain way. They're going to pay the teachers unions to teach certain things in school. And a lot of that, you know, like big pharma's behind it, paying off the teachers to not teach about this stuff, to just listen to your doctor. Um, like one thing I want to touch on is COVID. I've never had such a just bleak outlook on society as I have with COVID. Because if you look at all the statistics, a lot of what could save us from COVID is diet, exercise, and sunlight. Literally, if you look at any statistics, that's like, this is what can really help you stay healthy, right? Or have less effects of COVID that doesn't decrease COVID in any way, but it has less effect. What, are, what, are, what is everybody doing? They're listening to their doctors to stay inside, don't do anything, and pretty much sit and watch TV. And you're probably going to eat fast complete opposite and of course everyone's like well i'm listening to my doctor and i'm like oh you know again we're just treating the symptoms we're not getting the root cause and everybody's extremely unhealthy about it yeah that's exactly the thing uh it, it should be weird like it's not weird like the medicine the medicine that uh, doctors give uh in my country it's uh it's d-right so like vitamin d's and like just nutrients so I, I did had COVID, uh, I'm, I'm, I not tested it, but I think I had COVID because I didn't have any smell for around two to three weeks. So I, I think so it's a few, few months ago, I think. During that time, the, the only thing that the medication that was given to me uh, was just nutrients, so the supplements, that's it, like supplements and one there yep. was there was a few days of antibiotics, that's it, like not, nothing else. Yeah. Exactly, like a lot, I've noticed a lot of other countries are doing that. When it comes to America, they're just, it's like so wrong in so many different ways. And we're not allowed to prescribe certain things in America now that have been proven to actually help reduce the problematic effects, but the serious problematic effects of COVID. And then all of a sudden those were outlawed, not outlawed, but just like told not to be used for that. You actually have to you say it's for a different condition to uh, prescribe it to a patient if they need it, especially if it's for COVID. And I've talked to a lot of doctors about this and it's absolutely insane. It's actually going on. So it's just like one of those things where it's just like, we need to, I think personally, wake up and really take care of ourselves. I understand everybody wants to police everybody else, but being other places in the world, if you take care of yourself, you are taking care of others because you're, you're reducing the spread at yourself. 
you can stop the spread because you're healthy. Your friend can stop the spread because they're healthy. I promise you, you know, things will kind of be knocked down. Absolutely. And why do people have issue with like exercise and being like doing exercise and being healthy? Like go, going out the scene. Like what what what's the problem? Eh? Like why can't you uh, like say to someone, hey, uh, you got COVID, stay healthy. Like eat good food and do some exercises and stay in the sun. Like that's it. Like what's so, what's literally wrong with with this thing? Man, you know, I wish I wish it was a simple, super simple answer. But when it comes down to it, I think it's a societal norm in a way. But at the same time, it's a motivation problem. And let me explain both of those. So as a society, um, especially in America, we are glorifying um, plus size models, which is, I think is great that you should feel great in your body. The only problem I see with this is you are glorifying health issues. It, you're not glorifying the person, you're glorifying that they most likely, people that are overweight with a higher BMI, they are more likely to be depressed. They are more likely to be anxious. They are more, more likely to deal with mental problems, mental disorders. And when it comes to that, when you see, oh, you're beautiful in your own skin, you don't need to change. Nobody's asking you to lose weight because they don't like that you're fat. All right. I, I have to be brutally honest with that. People want to help you and maneuver you on this beautiful path to help your mental capacity, to help you feel better emotionally, mentally, and to be honest with you, to be, allow you to be able to do things physically. A lot of people have trouble walking down the street now. They don't wanna walk down the street because they're too tired. Going upstairs can be really hard. So when you see this in society, you, you kind of start to feel, oh, well, everybody else is like this, so it's okay for me to be like that. It's not though. Like, I don't want you to conform to feeling bad um, constantly because you just don't feel good mentally, physically, or emotionally. Now on the other one, um, I would, a lot, a lot of it just has to be with our motivation. To be honest with you, a lot of people are just not motivated to work out and motivation takes, there's two kinds, intrinsic and extrinsic. Extrinsic motivation is when something from the outside motivates you and that could be your mom telling you she'll give you $20 to run a mile every day. Do you want to earn that 20 miles? You're going to go run a mile every day or $20. You want to earn that mile or you're going to go run that mile every day. That's intrinsic motivation. If she wasn't there, it wouldn't happen. Now intrinsic motivation or that's extrinsic. This is intrinsic motivation is where you're like, I need to run a mile for myself. Like I'll feel accomplished. I will feel better about myself. I need to run this mile for myself. So you become to do something for yourself. That's the best kind of motivation you can do because it's intrinsic, it's for you. And it most likely when it's gone, which most likely it won't leave, when it's not there, you're still wanting to do it on the inside. So it will actually it never leaves, but when your outside forces are gone, you can still do it. So it really breaks down to the societal norms and the motivation behind all of health and fitness. Okay, two things I'd like to add here. So on the motivation side, uh, in terms of intrinsic motivation, when you achieve anything, you like set the goal higher. So that that's what that's that's the reason it never goes. In terms of it extrinsic, they go and they go, go ahead. That's it. And w one thing, so you want to say something? 
Oh no 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 go for it. I'm listening. Okay. On 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 the previous one, societal laws. Like uh, you you mentioned about uh, pl- like glorifying plus size models. There is actually nothing about glorifying plus size models because yeah. it's it's all about sales, right? So cause people are pro- like people have changed and they are protesting against the use of like failing models. That's why like everything is changing towards like to hey not not just normal like oversized like plus size plus size yeah. model. Now is is it bad? I don't think so. But however like. Uh, we have to understand that these everything that's being created by the companies is to sell. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. So see, okay. So, but this goes both ways, right? So, looking at it from a business perspective, yes, honestly, businesses don't really care if they just want to sell more clothes; they just want to make a bigger profit. On the other hand, you always to reach the consumer. And a lot of people honestly don't know a lot about business. So they're not looking at it as the sales part. So they're trying, you know, when you're selling a product, you also have to have a story, an emotional story to go behind it. So they're choosing this story to give to the consumers of you're beautiful in your own body. And now that story is kind of turning into, well, I don't need to change, even though, you know, I may be pre-diabetic. I may be having a lot of issues. I may have sleep apnea. I may have all these other problems and I I don't feel good, but you know what? This company is telling me I, I, I'm beautiful. I, you know, and they're touching on your emotions, but at the same time, like you, you need to be aware that your health is declining. So that's kind of like, I understand where you're coming from with the sales. Like I obviously, yes, absolutely. You're correct on that. But at the same time, when it comes to the consumer, a lot of people don't look at businesses and think, oh, why are they marketing it this way? You know, they're just there. Oh, I love this company because they save, you know, animals in their free time. And, you know, they're just marketing that so they can get the people that are very emotionally, you know, attached to animals to come buy their stuff. So it's all about the story. And that story really has an effect on society because it spreads. It's, it, again, it's like a virus. It spreads and it goes to other people. When other businesses realize it, it's working, and then it becomes a societal norm. Absolutely. So, so one point to educate everyone in terms of business: the major ninety uh, percent of the consumers we will switch to add another producer, just because they have one or like more more than one, like an extra. Uh, societal, like there were that, that producer is working on more than one societal cause, societal cause or like even one societal cause more than the previous con- consumer like previous producer sorry okay. like just one so th- that is why the businesses do what they do and say what they do like see like see, corporate se- social responsibilities is there for just this reason that's yes. it yeah like CSR corporate social responsibility so, yeah, that's social exactly respons- yeah exactly what you just said exactly that's they just touch it because it helps bring people over i mean it's it's a sad reality but i remember when i learned about the csr it's like they pretty much said all these companies well it's for the environment a lot of these companies are just throwing things into their marketing that weren't through there was a whole case study on it 
um, that really they don't do, like they don't really recycle 90% of what they do, but they're saying they do because they can justify it in a different way um, when you actually start to audit and look into it. And it was such a crazy statistic and sad reality, but it's all about the marketing. It's about how you position yourself, how you market and who you can bring over with your story. And pe like pe people in the company, like employees are employed, like companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars just yeah. to make make this thing better like make the csr better um make the messaging better like that that's just a reason to just to, they have employees set to justify how this thing works how let's say nine we're recycling nine thousand ninety percent of products or let's say or like plastics or anything you say that's it yeah that's yep. about it so one thing though that we have to say I have to say is like we are over time right now, so we have to cut very fast. <laughs> okay, so and firstly, sorry for it for so for the extra time, like yeah, so they taking the extra time. So uh, is there anything any last thing that you'd like to say or share with the audience before leaving? I would honestly say just going back to the eating disorder. If you feel, if you feel like you are struggling with one or it is, there is a, an entry point to it, reach out to somebody you trust. I mean, you can even reach out to me on social media. If you need somebody to talk to It's sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger that doesn't know you to, to judge quote unquote, than it is somebody that knows you very well and tells you, oh, you're just overreacting. Just say something to somebody and maybe talk it out because sometimes it's not as bad as you think it is and sometimes it may be worse so if you're struggling with it just say something privately to somebody um and then other than that can i plug myself in for my podcast run thrive survive if you have any more questions you can contact me over there um run thrive survive.com okay so great that's about it for today so our uh, today's guest was kiara carter she is a bearable and this personal trainer and she's also a podcast host of Run Tribe Survive. So the links will be here on the description. And if you're watching on YouTube, also in the description. That's about it for today. This was your host, Mahmoud, signing off. And that's the end of today's episode. I know taking action is quite a hard job to do. So I hope the advice and insights we got today will help you to take the leap of faith and pursue your dreams. You can share your story with us with the first link in the description box and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on the Apple Podcast. We will come back with another episode till then keep healing, learning and growing. Thank you.